This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Welcome back to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast and now available on iTunes and where you find your podcasts as well as online. I'm Johnny Hart. Each week we review the stories that made the business and market headlines with an Oanda market analyst. Our regular analyst Craig Earlham is away for the very happy reason that he's become a new dad this week. Mum and baby boy are doing really well. Congratulations to Craig and family. So this week... We're joined by Oanda market analyst Alfonso Esparza in Toronto. Hi there, Alfonso. Hi. How are you doing? Hi, Johnny. Glad to be here. Yes, it was actually a busier week than I thought it would be. We started on Monday with the Trump administration reactivating those economic sanctions against Iran that were lifted, of course, as part of the nuclear accord. And President Trump added a bit more fuel to the fire when he warned that countries doing business with Iran will not be doing business with the USA. He's described the measures as the most biting sanctions ever and warned that they would ratchet up to yet another level in November when sanctions on Iranian oil will be reimposed. Let's start with the implications for the oil price. Surely, with Iran unable to sell most of its oil globally, this will put prices up. Yes. So that's one of the things that uh, first we've seen the effect that uh, you're talking about a supply disruptions. And in the past five years, the market has been very sensitive to uh, any disruption in the supply chain. We have either geopolitical nature, uh, natural disaster, or in this case, it's just, um, again, diplomacy. And what we've seen is that the, the market is, has reacted. But the reason that it's, it hasn't been so so it's like so strong, it's because the OPEC is also ready to start uh, scaling uh, back up their production levels. So they've uh, Russia very uh, famously agreed to join, and other big producers ag- agreed to join the OPEC uh, production oil cut. So that had kept prices up, sort of stable after the the, the crash a couple of years back. And now uh, they were they were saying, okay, now let's it's time to uh, restart production. But then this happened. So right now it's basically we've we've seen. Thanks to the OPEC deal agreement with Russia, that that still is a stable market, but it's definitely very rife for any uh, disruption in the supply chain to cause a big impact. Like we're right now, we're now seeing that because again, it's early stages, and as you as you mentioned, the the specific oil sanctions we will go later in the year. But we're definitely seeing that in the market that it's it's not where it's supposed to be, just based on supply and demand. And I hear that uh, the Saudi Arabians, even if they wanted to turn the taps on even more, uh, they're actually almost at uh, full capacity. So it'd be very difficult to increase supply and keep the price fairly steady. Yes, and and they're not going to undo the work of the past two years. It's not the it, it was really hard, and it was really a uh, a very complicated deal to even to agree within the OPEC that this was the solution. So they're not definitely going to just turn the taps and undo the work of years and probably put in jeopardy all the big plans that they have going forward to uh, to get away from being so dependent on oil. But uh, surely with uh, the political ramifications of this, uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, Iran are at loggerheads uh, for a, a number of different reasons. It would be in the Saudis' interest to put uh, the Iranians under more pressure. 
if it if it was anything other than oil, I mean, if it was like a diplomatic pressure or some other way, yes. But this is again, this is something that uh, the Saudis depend as much, if not more, than the Iranians are, are for. So that uh, their the, their economy is fully dependent on on crude prices. So any they're not willing to go that way. I mean, they try that with sort of shale oil, and that's what led to the the, the drop in prices. So they'd be hesitant to try it again. It's it's not a strategy that really pays dividends short or long term. It seems. So uh, right now it's more the focus on sort of the the diplomacy on the U.S. side that's uh, a bit of a a head scratcher because uh, they're basically going against allies. They 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 have their own particular reasons, as explained by the Trump administration, why they're moving away from this deal. But the fact that they're still very reliant on uh, retaliation to anybody who does business with Iran. And I mean, the accord is still they just pulled out. But the, the, the other members of the accord have said time and time again, Germany, France, that they're they support this. And this is the only way to get. So if we want to get away from nuclear weapons and it, we, we need to open trade. And the Trump administration is basically saying that, no, that that is totally wrong and that uh, they, there will be consequences if they don't pull back. Uh, or uh, try to break away from their deals with Iran. Alfonso, it's been a very interesting week in terms of the currency market. And uh, really, today, on Friday, uh, Turkish lira hitting new fresh record lows. That, again, after President Donald Trump's uh, comments and authorization at the doubling of metal tariffs on Turkey. The lira down 20% against the US dollar, after Trump made that comment in a tweet. And that came after Turkish President Erdogan asked his citizens to convert their dollars and other foreign currencies, as well as gold holdings to local lira. And it is a difficult, difficult time for Turkey. Um, this, this is uh, a very serious situation, isn't it? Uh, for sure. And uh, emerging markets were already on alert, like the beginning of the week, just uh, we discussed it with Iran. It's, there's a, a flight to safety sort of mentality right now with investors. So they're flocking to so the, the traditional safe havens. We're talking about the yen, uh, the dollar, and gold. And so what's happening in Turkey is like the President Erdogan is basically telling his citizens, yeah, go literally to the mattress, get everything there, and just uh, go and defend the lira, which is really a desperate move I mean, when, when you're in, in that situation. I mean, it's... It's not something that happened overnight, and uh, his administration also has a lot uh, to blame for how things reach this state. Um, yeah, that's what happens when you put your brother-in-law in charge of the economy, isn't it? Uh, yes, and, and you shackle the central bank and you start basically pressuring uh, that uh, things have to be run a certain, uh, the political way, as opposed to the, the, just facing the economic reality. And I think that's catching up to them really fast. And the Trump administration is really not helping with just doubling down on the tariffs. It's incredibly naive, though, of the Turkish administration to do this, isn't it? Oh, it, it's uh, yeah, it's something that you probably heard uh, 30, 40 years ago. It's it's not something that uh, it's it's a very populist move. It's just trying to get the the people on on his side. But it, yeah, it's not something. First of all, it's not effective. I mean, you're you're fighting. Uh, one of the biggest markets in the world, you're, you're the, the most sort of uh, in terms of volume. So going up against the FX uh, markets just uh, based on sort of a national ideals, that that's not really a good strategy. And 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 of course, it's going to backfire. I mean, it's not going to uh, 
uh, it's not going to work long term. Uh, funny enough, uh, uh, Russia is engaged sort of in a similar strategy, but they're going about it the sort of the more formal way. So what they're doing is trying to restrict uh, sales of foreign currency. So that's it. so people who want to seek safety in other currencies, they can do so because the government is making that very hard at the moment. But that's sort of a stopgap, and that's uh, more of the conventional toolkit that governments use in in this time of uh, crisis. Do you think this has been a good week for Donald Trump? That's a very uh, loaded question. Is like I think they're all they're all good weeks for him. <laughs> uh, uh, if you ask him, I think I, I don't think he has bad weeks. We've seen the. He's, sort of he's, the inter- he's what, what I'm what I mean in that question. He. You know, he's, he, he really means business, doesn't he? The, these are no veiled threats he does uh, during an election or even in the intervening period. Uh, what he says is having a genuine effect on the economies of countries and unstable ones at that in Iran, Turkey, uh, Russia, etc. This is a high-risk manoeuvre, but it seems to be working to an extent in his favour. I think that's one of the traits that nobody really expected from a politician like Donald Trump of what's to follow through. And he has followed through in some of the most uh, sort of outrageous of his claims. So he is basically trying to rip apart all trade agreements and he's going hard against, uh, as you said, like unstable governments that in the past have not had the best relationship with the states. But the funny thing is that he's walking the, most of those deals like so the the advances of previous administrations that are being walked back that they're almost uh, at the beginning. So it's it's very, yes, it's good in for him in, in regards to like he's, he's been seen sort of a, as a strong man in, in, in yeah. that. Uh, and play, uh, playing, in, to, in playing to his, stage. yeah, playing to his yeah. electorate, of course. Yes, I mean, there's, uh, but there's the sense on the other hand that the, that the United States as the world policeman is, is gone. Like the, that's, uh, out to lunch like that's not really an interest in what he does it's almost like and, it's become the economic agitator of the world yes i mean if uh, the previous administration was uh, sometimes maybe too cautious and maybe patient in their language he's the total opposite he's just gone literally guns blazing and uh just waiting for the fallout whatever it may be and he thinks he's ready he says he's ready and uh, the people around him uh, support that view but it's it's been uh, very interesting to see what will what was the true fallout and how the U.S. will really meet. And this is not something about uh, just Turkey, uh, Russia, but it's also going against China, going against like near neighbors in Mexico, Canada. I mean, the list is is, is getting very long. Yeah, it's an extraordinary set of circumstances. It, it it really is, and you just don't know how this is going to end. Let's turn to the U.K. and it is proving to be a, a torrid summer. Uh, for sterling uh, from hitting a post-referendum peak of just under $144 in mid-April. The pound has certainly hit the skids on foreign exchange markets, plunging to just over 128 Alfonso. That That is a level not seen since August last year. Uh, there are a number of explanations for this. The comments uh, from the governor of the Bank of England, Mark Carney, and, of course, that was followed up uh, by an interview given to the Sunday Times last weekend by Liam Fox, the Secretary of State for International Trade, in which he said that the intransigence of the uh, European Commission was pushing uh, the UK towards a no-deal scenario. And this has had uh, a really big effect on sterling, hasn't it? 
Uh, yes, I think uh, uh, it's the main driving factor of the pound, uh, the Brexit negotiations. Uh, just after the referendum hit, it, it became sort of a, a very uh, important driver of what's going to happen with the UK uh, in the next 20 years. So the the fact is that now uh, you we, we're not seeing a very solid negotiating team, even within the UK. There's still that fracture within uh, Theresa May's ranks. And even the UK doesn't really know which Brexit do, does it really want. We we're still potentially have on the table uh, pulling back Brexit with a new referendum, although that has been trying to sort of uh, that's still on the table as much as hard Brexit, soft Brexit and sort of different uh, variants. But right now it, it's it's looking sort of on the pessimist side just because of how the EU has just voiced their opinions in some things that they're. It's it's so hard just to get a win uh, in in the UK that when they present it to the the EU Council they're they're not impressed and that basically takes back uh, and puts more pressure on Theresa May which I mean she just called for summer holidays just to see if she can survive a leadership challenge. And most of the blame is is going to be uh, as far as the pounds tumble is concerned is 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 on the the possibility of the UK crashing out of the EU without a deal. But uh, there are some analysts out there who are keen to point out that August is often a difficult month for sterling. Agreed. I mean, I would put that yes, the the market has not been really following sort of the economic indicators from the UK. We've had the very strong release today of the GP 0.4%. And it's it's good in a in a current, if you sort of measure it, like what's going on right now, it's not great if it's like a pre-crisis level, but it's, it's, it's sustainable. I think it's, we've seen sort of flashes that the, the recovery is still ongoing. There's still, there's some momentum to the UK economy, but the Brexit conversation is, it's, it's overpowering. Uh, any sort of uh, results, and it actually it start it will start to seep in, and that's one of the the criticisms that I've heard, uh, uh, sort of especially from uh, Brexiteers that uh, well nothing has happened. Well, it's just because like the Brexit, we still have eight months to go, and and it's just it will start uh, as this final stretch starts to get shorter, we'll start to see those effects, and they're not positive. We will start to see uh, just. Uh, how uh, trade is influenced, how financial services. So all those industries that the UK depends on, that they'll start to sort of feel the crunch of a, of a potential Brexit. Even at this point, it doesn't really matter which one it is. It's just, it's going to have a negative effect. You mentioned the the latest GDP figures for the UK, uh, an increase of 0.4% in the second quarter, that from a rate of 0.2% in the previous uh, three months. And that uh, certainly down to better uh, retail sales and the warmer weather, which we've been going on and on about, uh, Alfonso. I'm sure you've heard uh, about uh, the various heat waves around the world, but uh, the British one is uh, attracting all the headlines. It uh, thankfully seems to have stopped for a while at least, but they're saying that the warmer weather plus the effect of the World Cup has helped the British economy grow at a faster pace, uh, despite official figures revealing manufacturing has slumped into recession for the first time since the Brexit. So it's a very mixed picture at the moment, isn't it? Oh, yes. And and there's uh, industries that are more sort of leading indicators, uh, like manufacturing, that it's, again, they, they have to think in advance. So, yes, they're starting to feel maybe those that Brexit crunch that I, I talked about earlier. But uh, when it comes to retail and consumers, yes, you have a, an excellent World Cup showing by the national team uh, that... Uh, 
combined with summer. So you, yeah, you have uh, beers and barbecue that are just kind of being part, uh, playing an important part of the economy. But again, it's not sustainable. Okay, before you go, Alfonso, can you give us a few of the highlights to expect for the week to come? Funny enough, this next week will be, or in paper, it's supposed to be not that exciting for the markets. Uh, I think that the, most of the more interesting news will come from the fallout from this week. So we will probably see a continuation of uh, the storyline on China, Iran, Turkey, and just uh, whatever uh, happens in the world. Because right now we're getting a surprise every week, it seems. But on the calendar itself, it's going to be the UK uh, inflation data, US retail sales and Australian employment on August 15th and UK retail sales on August 16th, and we have Canadian inflation on uh, the 17th. So it's all been uh, sort of a very interesting how it, you can see how the economic indicators, for the most part in some regions, have been strong. So we see the UK GDP being really strong or uh, in lag with expectations, but stronger than uh, the previous one. And we still see a drop in the pound, even though there was not any Brexit uh, headlines, but it was all based on sort of the flight to safety. Something similar happened in Canada, uh, massive, uh, strong uh, jobs report where we still see a drop in the loonie just because it's it's sort of the current environment. So it's just a, it's an advice for investors. Just uh, be aware of what's happening. Be aware of the headlines, where everything is. And just, yeah, I think right now, Twitter and anything that can get you information really fast is, is your best friend. OK, Alfonso, thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great week. Thanks, Johnny. That's Oanda Market Analyst Alfonso Esparza in Toronto. And this has been the Oanda Market Insights podcast brought to you with the Jazz FM Business Breakfast, now available, don't forget, on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Have a great week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.